Hello and welcome to another episode of the More From Law podcast. I'm your host, Harry Clark. This episode features Bree Buchanan, a former director of the Texas Lawyers Assistance Program, which aims to provide recovery solutions for members of the legal profession who are experiencing substance abuse, as well as strategies to help boost well-being and resiliency within law. Bree and I discuss her pathway into law, substance abuse within the profession, as well as what law needs to do to improve its approach to mental well-being. Let's get into it. So hi, Bree. Thanks so much for coming on the show. Hello. No, it's a pleasure to have you here. And I know that I got in touch with you through your website for um, teachers and kind of practicing lawyers who are actually offering their services to people in the midst of um, this COVID-19 situation. And you were very kind to offer to speak on a topic which I think is extremely relevant to that situation, which is the idea of mental well-being. And as someone who has, you know, written on mental well-being in the past and spoken to people in the UK, at least on this topic and this area, um, I was really interested to try and get an opportunity to speak to you and to hear your thoughts, um, especially coming from the States as well, and to see, um, you know, if there was any noticeable differences or similarities between how you perceive the problem um, in the the profession and and kind of offer your thoughts and advice on that. But before we get too much into that side of things, um, a nice icebreaker question I like to ask people when they come on the show is, is why did you originally want to join or work within the legal profession in the first place and and for people who haven't met you what's your sort of background to date you bet and first thank you so much for having me on and i wish i had some really inspiring story about why i wanted to become (laughs) a lawyer Uh, but i think it's not uh very atypical I uh, knew I wanted to be a professional, um, mm-hmm. and I was really bad at math, so I wasn't going to be a doctor. <laughs> and out of, I guess, a lack of uh, <laughs> imagination, mm-hmm. I, I went to law school. It's probably being a little hard on myself. But um, when, when I got to law school here at the University of Texas School of Law in Austin, Texas, um, I did find my niche, and that was to working for and providing services to people who were impoverished. Mm-hmm. And so when I graduated from law school, I got to do my 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 dream job, which was to go to the Legal Aid Society here in um, Central Texas and provided representation to victims mm-hmm. of family violence. Um, so that was really, over the course of my career, that's a constant theme uh, prior to getting into the lawyer's assistance um, world. And, uh, yeah. And I guess, was that kind of in part what led you down um, this route and your interest towards well-being in your profession? So I know we've talked a little bit and how you're involved in this sort of lawyer's assistance program whilst you were there. What what was the kind of background into your interest within mental well-being in the profession and, and your kind of motivations to, to contribute to that area? Sure. Well, as we'd say in the United States South, or my dad would have said, I came by it honestly, <laughs> which means okay. that... Um, you know, the years that I did domestic violence work um, resulted in, not surprisingly, uh, a good deal of burnout, mm-hmm. a high amount of stress over a long period of time. And I began to use a variety of substances to self-medicate the really uncomfortable feelings of overwhelming stress and anxiety mm-hmm. and depression that came as a result of that. Um, and rather than... Uh, trying to to curb that uh, behavior. Ultimately, I continued mainly drinking to the point that um, I became an alcoholic. Mm. And when uh, things really came to a head or I reached my bottom uh, a little over 10 years ago, I decided to um, get sober. And Mm. that really began my journey uh, with providing uh, support to members of the legal profession. 
Mm. And I, when I was doing my research, um, you know, into, into kind of substance abuse, at least within the UK, um, in the legal profession, I think statistics are as high as sort of 25 to 30% of lawyers, um, who are kind of suffering with some kind of drug dependency or, or substance abuse problem. Um, and it, it, it's quite sad to think that, you know, ultimately it's an anomaly for people to actually come forward and recognize it and to, and to speak about it openly. Um, which I think is so fantastic about sort of your message and your, and your kind of approach to it. So, um, you know, when it comes to, I guess, kind of viewing this, this problem within the profession, um, what are your thoughts on kind of where we are and, and, and why those problems are so prevalent, especially within law compared to other professional services, um, that, that are quite similar in nature, such as, you know, consulting or finance or something like that? Right. Or the medical profession. And mm. there have been studies that compared lawyers to doctors and we have, um, let's look at specifically sort of the go-to drug for lawyers, which is alcohol Mm -hmm. and what is now referred to as an alcohol use disorder. And we experience that at twice the rate of doctors. Mm -hmm. So we do have a real prevalence of this. And we, as members of the legal profession, suffer from substance use disorders as well as mental health disorders, such as depression and anxiety at a disproportionate rate to the rest of the population and disproportionately to other professions. And so people always want to know, well, why is that? And a lot of that has to do with number one, I would, I think the most important thing for us to remember is around the stigma that attaches to these issues. And you've already Mm -hmm. sort of touched on that about being sort of, I guess, brave to, to talk about your history. And we really want to get to the point where you don't have to be brave or courageous to stand up and say that you have one of these issues. These uh, disorders are medical conditions that are treatable. And um, what we really need is for lawyers and law students and judges to be willing to get help if they start to get in trouble. And that's where we're going to really see a change. And that will happen when we reduce the stigma around this. Uh, and it becomes more like another chronic medic- me- medical condition like diabetes or heart disease. Um, and then people are going to be more willing to get the help. So I think that the stigma and the shame that still shrouds this is one of the biggest things that impedes us from getting better. Um, some of the things that get us into this is the incredibly high rates of stress and that it's chronic. It's unrelenting. You never seem to get a break mm. um, is a big piece of it. And then there's also you look at the way we are wired when we hit the doors of law school or we become wired. You know, we become perfectionistic. We come become combative, competitive. All of these things build up and create a lifestyle that is more and more stressful and more than we can really handle safely, especially if it's someone who has a genetic predisposition towards mm-hmm. a substance use disorder or have early life environmental conditions um, that sets them up as well. And I think, you know, if you look at society generally, um, there's certainly more of an appreciation and kind of more of a conversation happening about these sort of topics. Um, you know, there's been an increased kind of provision of, you know, non-alcoholic beverages and kind of, uh, you know, within the UK at least, um, you know, firms and more junior levels of lawyers are starting to advocate more for alcohol-free events or at least a greater inclusion of non-drinking, networking and socializing events. But when it comes to, I guess, analyzing the, the current approach to fixing that stigma problem and the kind of surrounding factors like you touched on, um, what's your sort of view on that? And how would you kind of, I guess, grade or appreciate the sort of the current approach that's being taken by firms in response to, to these topics? 
Well, if I had to give it a grade, I'd say probably a B minus. And a lot of mm-hmm. that is because um, that it's not lower is because there seems to be some real effort around that. Um, but I don't know, and we won't know until we do further studies, how much these efforts are actually changing the levels of well-being of the members of the profession. Mm-hmm. Um, the National Task Force on Lawyer Well-Being, we issued our report in 2017, which really kicked off the lawyer well-being in the United States, and I believe ignited it around the world. Um, from that, one of the recommendations for legal employers and law firms um, was to start developing policies and practices and implementing them within the firm to promote well-being. One of the initiatives that we're working on right now through the American Bar Association and the commission that I chair is a lawyer or law firm well-being pledge. And so mm-hmm. currently now over 180 of the largest law firms in the world, um, as well as corporate um, counsel, uh, some law schools, et cetera, has signed this pet pledge saying that they're going to make this a priority and make, take affirmative steps within their firm um, to change the culture. So that's a really important first step. We're going through the first step of making change, which is acknowledging the problem and starting to put into place some systems to change that. But we've got quite a ways to go. Yes, we've got 180 signatories, but you think of how many, you know, even mid to mid-sized to large law firms there are out there. We still have quite a ways to go. And I, and I guess you hinted at it slightly earlier, at least nicely onto my next question, which is kind of thinking about what this kind of ideal approach to take that next step would look like. But one of the kind of consistent things that I kind of pick up on whenever I speak to people who either work within the realms of trying to improve mental well-being or people who are trying to drive some kind of innovation, be it you know tech-based or otherwise cultural within a firm, um, one of the common kind of talking points that we always come back to is the idea of the billable hour and that because because this is the way that so many law firms are currently structured and the, the, you know, the way that they approach business, um, it's so fundamental to how they function that it, it's quite hard to imagine making any changes that don't in some way impact that kind of business model. Um, I just kind of wanted to get your thoughts on that and whether you feel that any efforts to reconcile you know, um, any problems when it comes to mental well-being can be done um, under this current kind of approach to, to building clients in this way. Well, Harry, you've hit upon, I guess, the 800-pound gorilla in the room, <laughs> the billable hour. And we're, we're in regards to the well-being movement, we are quite far from where we can make that change. Um, mm-hmm. But it's key. It's central. Um, it just seems specious to tell lawyers, you need to be taking care of yourselves when they've got these um, impossible, virtually impossible billable hour requirements. And ultimately, we are going to have to see a change in that. And you know, we're already seeing a call for change from the clients. Mm -hmm. And one of the key linchpins, I think, in this is the corporate world and what they're demanding of the law firms Mm-hmm. Uh, what So the clients can come in and say, we're only going to hire law firms that have signed the well-being pledge and can demonstrate to us that they've taken certain actions would be an example. Mm-hmm. Um, so if we have the clients demanding this, that's going to start to bring a change. And we're seeing some of that, um, some where there's really, really major clients saying, we want to know that the lawyers you're putting on our 
case are mentally well and healthy mm. and thinking clearly and have gotten some sleep in the past couple of days, that sort of yeah. thing. Yeah, absolutely. I think it speaks to the idea as well that, you know, for the client's perspective, it's anything but beneficial because ultimately, you know, client uh, lawyers who are, you know, well rested and have had the time to, you know, recuperate outside of work are ultimately going to be completing their work more efficiently and, and hopefully charging them a lesser fee under a billable hour model anyway. So right. uh, it's really interesting to see how that dynamic sort of changing as a result of client demands, like you say, and the kind of expectations, I guess, about what is quote unquote normal for lawyers to do um, is also changing as well, really. And I think one thing that is critical, I haven't mentioned yet, is buy-in from the very top within the legal employer or the law firm. You've got to have the managing partners signing off on messages about well-being and programs that the firm may be putting on. You've got to have the managing partners showing up at these in-house CLEs or sending an email saying, I expect you guys to participate. They need to get messages from the top. The other thing that the top has to do is set an example that well-being is important to them. And so the managing partners need to take a vac- take their vacation and let people know they're doing it. And only then will the rest of the people feel comfortable to do that. People are going to watch what you do and not what you say. So I guess this episode, we've talked a lot about kind of the macro analysis of the kind of profession generally and kind of trying to get a finger on the kind of trends that are happening when it comes to this area of, of the profession. Um, but I did want to ask you finally some kind of thoughts on the more micro version of this, which is the individual lawyer and the kind of individuals who are perhaps struggling with something like stress or anxiety or depression within within the, within the industry. So, um, you know, I think a lot of people suffer from workplace distress in, in most industries, but for those who are particularly based in law, um, what, what, what were your own kind of tips and approaches and advice for those to, to hopefully get a, a bit better under control and to, and to improve their mental well-being? Absolutely. And I just, um, this is a strong word, but I mean it. I implore people Mm -hmm. to get help and get help early. You know, if you're experiencing some depressive symptoms or severe anxiety um, or drinking or using substances in a way that you don't think is healthy, don't Mm -hmm. wait. There are, um, what I recommend that people do, a real easy way to start looking at this in yourself is to meet with a therapist. It's private, confidential. Um, They can help you kind of look at yourself and look at your life and see what needs may need to change so you can feel, live your life to the fullest capacity. Mm. So to be brave enough to look at yourself and say, I'm not living the life that I want to right now. I can be better and accessing a mental health professional, not because you're crazy or there's, you know, that you're, there's something wrong with you as a human being. You are a human being um, Mm. and we need to take care of ourselves. And I, I think that anybody who is a lawyer, um, a clerk needs to keep in their mind at some point, they need, may need to check in with a mental health therapist who can support them in the incredible stressful work that they do. That's an easy access point to working on your own well-being. Right now, I have absolutely no doubt, doubts that the rates of depression and anxiety and substance use, misuse 
have become even more elevated in the profession. It's there are a lot of really uncomfortable feelings right now for good reason. And we people humans don't want to feel bad or poorly. And so a lot of times a quick fix can be an indulging um, in a lot of different um, activities that be- can become less than productive as a way of sort of self-medicating the the difficult feelings. And so I would say from the employer's perspective, realizing that, um, getting out in front of that by making sure you continue to provide information regularly to your staff about your employee assistance program, their Mm -hmm. behavioral health coverage, um, the lawyer's assistance program that serves their area, encouraging their employees to make use of those that they feel like they need it, making it okay to get help is going to be key. And I'm hoping if we can do that now, that is an, a shift in attitude and approach that will stick with the profession from here on out. Right, absolutely. And I'm hoping the same as well, that this kind of indicates a turning point that we'll see how, how kind of the problems when it comes to mental well-being um, in the profession are, are addressed. And um, these changes are made, as you say. Um, but for now, Bri, thanks so much for coming on and sharing your thoughts. It was really insightful to hear from you and to kind of get your thoughts on how um, the industry is currently tackling this problem and hopefully how it can be in future. Um, for people who want to kind of go to learn more about yourself, where can people go to um, read more of your content and your ideas in this area? Sure. I think going to LinkedIn is a good uh, place to find me. Mm-hmm. And then also um, the National Task Force, the website is lawyerwellbeing.net. And that's mm-hmm. a, the great place to go to find out more information about all of these initiatives and the National Task Force report. And also just a plug really quickly in the United States, we have designated May 4th through 8th to be Lawyer mm-hmm. Wellbeing Week. And there's all mm-hmm. the information people need on that website about that as well so lawyerwellbeing.net absolutely well, thanks so much for sharing your thoughts here on this medium today anyway, Brie. i really appreciate it you bet thank you thanks so much for listening to this edition of the more from law podcast the amount of support the show has received recently has been unbelievable so thanks again for playing your part in that by listening if you'd like to support the show please rate it five stars on the itunes store and follow the show on your podcast platform of choice it really helps the show reach more listeners If you're looking for more tips, resources and guides, you can visit my website www.harryclarklaw.com where you can also sign up to my newsletter and stay up to date with everything that I'm up to. For now though, I'll see you in the next episode of More From Law.